Welcome to the Multitracks.com Worship Sound Design Podcast, where we dig into the intersection of all things music, production, and sound design, but also a passion for God, for the local church, and for the worldwide church. I'm your host, Mike Graff. I'm excited to dig in together with you. Let's get going. Again, welcome to the podcast, everybody. My name is Mike Graff of Core Sound, one of the producers here at Multitracks.com. It is a delight to be here together with you. Thank you for tuning into these special Summer of Sounds episodes of the podcast. It's been such a joy to hear from some of these amazing producers, amazing musicians, leaders within the worship community. And this is the final episode of the Summer of Sounds series, but do not forget fear. There are lots of cool plans in the works, more episodes coming at you in the near future. Can't wait to share more with you about that in the weeks and months ahead, so stay tuned for that. But as for now, we have a super-sized final Summer of Sounds podcast episode for you. It's worth every minute of the listen, I promise, with the incredible Luke Anderson. Chances are you've heard Luke drum on multiple different Elevation Worship albums or seen Luke drum with Elevation Worship on tour. In addition to that, Luke has played on countless other recordings, has made some amazing drum samples as a producer for Multitracks.com, and has a huge heart to encourage people to push them out of their comfort zone and to pursue excellence in all that they do. This is a fun one. Luke's amazing. You're not going to want to miss it. Here is my conversation with Luke Anderson. Man, well, I could not be more excited than to be sitting here with Mr. Luke Anderson. Luke, thank you so much for making some time and welcome to the podcast, man. Awesome, man. Thanks for having me. Super pumped. It's always fun just to get to connect with people, especially that are in this kind of the same vein as you. Yeah. I know it's every single time I've done anything like this, it turns out to be completely unique. Mm. And so I'm just here for it, man. I love it, man. Super pumped. I yeah, love it. Yeah, yeah. Well, man, I'm convinced, Luke, that you absolutely win the award for best hair of any multi-tracks producer, <laughs> for sure. You just said the, the look is there, and and it's it's amazing. But before we get going, there was an April Fool's joke. No, I got to tee this up. You released a set of samples last year, I believe it was called Very Big Drums. They sound so good. They're awesome. But that was last year, 2021, I believe. And then come April Fool's 2022, I believe there was maybe the sequel <laughs> to Very Big Drums. Called, and I, I'm going to botch it. But was it like Little Tiny Drums or something like that? It was uh, extremely small drums. Um. <laughs> it's, it's so good. No, and, and like, honestly, the best part of the whole thing, it, it never stops making me smile, is that like the video, I saw the video that went out on social and it was beautiful. And you just, you took it so seriously. And, and that's awesome. Dude. But like extremely small drums is a legit drum sample pack that you can go on to multitracks.com and download, <laughs> right? Like it's, it's free. Can. It's zero. It's a big old zero dollars, but I can't stop laughing at that. And it honestly, like, and not to make it serious or anything, but like, I appreciate the levity of that. Like that still lives in your catalog. And I think it just says something does, about, about you <laughs> in, in the best way possible. Like, maybe for every one person who's like, I don't know about that guy. There's 99 others who are like, man, he doesn't take himself seriously. This is beautiful. I love it. And he's incredible at what he does. So well, yeah, dude, I can't stop funny, laughing man. at that dude. It was just so, so behind, super behind the scenes on that. When I first so COVID hit, I'd been on the road anywhere from like 150 to 200 days a year oh goodness. for years, years and years. Just like to give you an example of married life from the day that I met my wife. So I meet her on a weekend. We hang out for two days and I'm like, hey, I got to go on tour. And then was gone for seven weeks or oh six weeks or something. And so she, it was built in to like the day she yeah. met me. She's like, oh, that's his life. Yeah. And uh, I was not home for my birthday or her birthday for our first six years of marriage. No Valentine's Day, wow. anniversary, New Year's Eve, even a Thanksgiving was missed. It's so normal. You don't really think about it too much. Yeah. Anyway, COVID hits and I'm like, man, we're not on the road. Mm -hmm. This is the first time I've been home for more than three months. And I don't even know how long. Like I, I was like wow. almost that anxious feeling. So I had this thought that just kind of sat with me where I'm like, okay, everyone's heard about a pivot. 
you know what I mean? Like a hard pivot. Yep. And generally companies that start out with something, they don't end up doing that for the life of the company. Mm-hmm. Very rarely will it just be like, we're a clam chowder company. Yeah. We've made only clam chowder for a thousand years. It's always like, oh, we started with clam chowder. And now we do like, you know, these awesome like sea charters, yeah. you know, like it ends up being something you can't even really expect. So I was like, man, I need to be open-minded. Obviously it would be great. I have a six month old son right before COVID. I think we played Red Rocks. The last date we played anywhere in 2019. And that was an awesome, like, exclamation point on 2019. And then 2020 hits and it's nothing. And I was like, I'm going to have to pivot and figure out, because there's more to me than just traveling and being gone from my family. Mm -hmm. I got to pivot or I'm going to have to, like, go apply for, like, Costco or something. (laughs) And when I was 22, I worked at Starbucks for 10 months. And that's the only, like, real job job I've ever had. Yep. And so I was like, the best option I have is to pivot and just start figuring out multiple ways to make little bits of income sure, and still do things I love. Sure. And anytime you invest into one category is great because it, it builds a, a skill set, but then it also brings about opportunities and connections that you can't, you can't really foresee yet. Yeah. You know what yep. I mean? So I got in touch with Jesse at Multitracks yep. and said, Hey man, we were in your studio. Uh, I know we don't really know each other. You like, we've been around each other, I guess. I've not really made samples before, but me and my buddy, Ricky, who's one of our main guitar players mm. at Elevation, he's a producer, songwriter, great musician, ran his own studio for several years. We're doing our own samples and we're going to release them ourselves, but I thought I'd reach out and just see what was up. And so I start releasing all these. And my goal was to release one pack every single month for two years straight. Yeah. And so I've released like goal, I think seven, yeah. <laughs> 17 packs in one and a half years. Wow. But awesome. I stopped, obviously stopped doing after 14, 15 packs. I was like, man, I can keep doing this, but it's going to start feeling really redundant. <laughs> anyway, it was a great yeah. goal. And I felt like I didn't give up on the goal. I yeah. just realized like I should just promote certain packs more, make them bigger. Yeah. It was great to get 12 out for the first year. Anyway, well, and that we goal, released that very big goal not to interrupt you, but like that goal got you in motion, right? Like it's, right. it's I, almost a sort of thing of where I feel like God does that often, where it's like, if there were a certain vision, not just on the vision side, but just like, Hey, a goal for this project or for that. Sometimes it's not even the end result. That's the important part of that. It's just the obedience to take that step. Right. And so to, to just like do the thing and is it a failure that there aren't 24 pa- or whatever, like one pack per month? No, not at all. Like you, you've done 14, right. 15 more packs than you ever would have done. So I, I love that dude. I think that's exactly right. Wise well, and that him. was, it was actually kind of like wisdom and logic talking to Dan, who's awesome. Yeah. Talking yep. to Jesse. I said, I think the goal of doing sample packs every month was to get people's attention more so than like try to max sell every single pack that's ever released. Whoa. Yep. Obviously yep. just doing it over and over, you get better at it. You learn what works, you learn what you yeah. dislike, just like anything. Oh, so we released very big drums. And I think Jesse, especially he would hear different ideas I have and be like, I think that's really cool, but like, it might make more sense to do this way. And I'm all ears like, yeah, collaboration's amazing and Absolutely. great. If we all have the same, same goal. And so we do this pack and I'm like, I want to do an April fool's pack. And it was like summer before the April, like it was a long ways off. He's like, Oh, an April fool's pack. Like that could be okay. Like, what's your idea? I'm like, (laughs) had nothing to do with drum samples. And I was like, I'm not even kidding. I want to make multiple videos to promote this. And I want it to be for the lazy corporate worker. And he was like, (laughs) uh, I'm like, he's selling them left and right on. This is, this is just gold to his ears. Oh man. He was like, okay, explain to me. I'm like, I literally want to sample like different key rates where they can just play it in iTunes and it sounds like they're typing. That's so good. I was dead serious. I was like, bro, that would take off. I said, the only thing that could do is it could get people that naturally would never see any samples at all. And they stumble upon this thing like, what's multi-tracks? I'm like, but it's also hilarious. Like anyone could kind of get with that, like medium typing play. He was like, I don't think that'll work. Uh, (laughs) He didn't even really say that. I just think he didn't know what to think. I really, he's like, um, okay. And then he's like, I think it'd be awesome to do like the opposite of very big drums. Yeah. And it turned out great. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. And the the part of it that's funny is, and it fits very much with my personality when you see that pack and it's still up there. I don't really like what happens subconsciously on social media. I think it's can be used to motivate people, but I think in general, it, 
is used more so to discredit what someone can do, if mm-hmm. that makes sense. Like when I was a kid and I skateboarded, I didn't have YouTube anything. I just had like the other kids in my neighborhood that skated to kind of show my mind what was possible. Yeah. And now it's like, oh, I think I want to skateboard. And you're 13 years old. You go on Instagram and you're seeing six and seven year olds doing stuff that pros weren't doing when I was a kid. No joke. And so you see all these highlight reels of everyone where it's like perfectly mixed drums to a song and they have all this You don't know how many times they tried to video that song. You don't know how many edits they did. You don't know if it's beat doctored. It makes you feel like you're behind everyone, Mm -hmm. if that makes sense. So I just started, I took the approach a couple of years ago, like I I never edit any audio. I never edit any videos. I just shoot. And like, sometimes like I posted one the other day of like me working on something that's not even hard, but I'm like, Hey, don't deceive yourself into thinking you're the only one that's like actively working on stuff and making mistakes and yada, yada. So that's like, I like the thought of like inspiring someone with what they have and where they're at. Yeah just do the best they can. They're like, what can you do to grow? I'm like, right here, watch yourself play. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like you cannot hear and see everything that you're doing while you're doing it. Oh man. Game tape. But if you're watching yourself, they're like, how do you know what to work on? I'm like, what do you mean? How do I know what to work on? Like (laughs) I literally go on YouTube and write down two exercises at most. And then I'll work on those at all these different tempos. I'll put those things mm-hmm. on different limbs. I could work on those for a month. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's so, so much. And so then I video myself and here's a, here's a great example. Like if you video yourself and then you compare it to my video, we both have the same phone. Yeah. It's like, I don't have a bunch of tricks that yeah. make me something that is not attainable for you. Anyway, the very big drums is awesome, but I love very small drums or extremely small drums because it, it does show you my personality a little bit. I think it's great to take yourself serious, but I also think it's fun just to have fun. I'm with you. Um, Both and. It's one thing to be great at what you do. It's another thing to be great at what you do and also just wear the humility of it. And like, man, I'm uh, I'm just me. And I see yeah, that a lot in, real. in the best way. So that's awesome. Well, Luke, let's hit the rewind button just a little bit. I would love to get a glimpse into what the starting chapters of music, of worship, of honing your drumming, not just your technique, but live performance and all that. When did music, when did drumming, when did all of that start to shift for you from something that certainly I'm sure you've enjoyed for a long time, but when did it start to shift into not just a hobby or not just a, a passion, but like, wow, I think this is... A thing. I think this is something that I'm being called to for the run of my life. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Oh yeah, man. Um, when I logged on here, I think before we ever even started this thing, I said, man, I'm all or nothing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I don't have the grace to like partly do something. There's a lot of wisdom know. there, man. That's I good. don't have the, the gift to do something like mediocre. And so it's kind of to just show you how intense I can get on something. Obviously growing up, I was like three or four or five in the late eighties. Obviously there's no YouTube, no internet. Nope. And I just, I, like I was drawn to things I couldn't do, if that makes sense. Like mm. I loved figuring out what seemed to be hard for everyone and try to, so like I rode a two wheeler bike uh, with pedals before I turned three. Whoa. Good for you, man. Fascinated. Well, I don't even remember really doing it, but my dad's like, yeah, we just put you on that bike and you just would (laughs) pedal and fall over. And then all of a sudden you just stop falling over, like just going. So that just shows you like kind of how I'm built. Then I got into skateboarding and that was like the moment I realized what you could kind of do, like ollieing up a curb. Oh my gosh. And I told my parents, everyone like, I'm going to be a pro skateboarder. Yeah. That's what I'm doing. Yeah. And they're like, oh my gosh, this is no, that's so ridiculous. And then, you know, I turned 12, 13, there's a local shop that started kind of flowing me just like some free decks here and there. And then that shop was owned by this guy who was a pro for vans in the eighties. So it's like tons of mini ramp skating, tons of ramps. And he just had this crazy vision of like, we're not just a shop. Like we could be a national thing. Mm. Like people are as good as a standard they're around. So I'm just going to constantly be pushing the standard. We're going to start making shop videos. Then all of a sudden, like I'm getting shoes from Osiris sent to my house every, every month, like three, four pairs, t-shirts, jeans, stickers, decks, independent trucks. My parents are like, oh my gosh, this is so crazy. Like (laughs) 
I can't believe this has happened. And then, you know, age 15, 16, Osiris was cool. They obviously had some really puffy shoes that were kind of weird, but like they had some really cool shoes, like admirable skaters that I looked up to. Yeah. And then America shoes, like I became an am for America, yep. which was a huge step forward at the time. Wow. And we started doing like contests around. We started skating with like Tony Hawk would come to town and different skaters from my shop would get to go skate at the arena. We had like five or six shop videos out that was getting a lot of traction in the Pacific Northwest. Man. When I was like 17, we actually did a national trip, like a van tour all the way to Minneapolis and skated in this contest called Third Lair. Yeah. Third Lair Skate Park. Absolutely. We got a third place like it was a shop contest. So like five skaters from your shop would skate and your average score. Yeah. We got third for like all the shops in the nation. So it was cool. And then I realized very quickly, I was 17. I was getting hurt. Like when you're filming all the time, you're jumping down stuff that's massive, massive, trying to get on film the absolute peak of your ability. Yep. And so like some days were great, but then I'd hurt myself and be out for like two or three weeks. <sighs> Yeah. And then I'd come back and still not be fully better. And then I'd strain something else or I'd tweak my ankle and be out for another. So I was just hurt all the time. Yeah. yeah. Well, that was happening. And I, I was getting like small, small little paychecks from a clothing company in Seattle called Imperial Motion. Mm. So it was fun. But I was like, I'm already getting too old for where I'm currently at. And sure. I'm getting hurt so much. Sure. And there were some guys on my team that have been like pros like legit full on pros in like the biggest videos that were on that same team of mine. One guy's David Gravette. He's a pro for creature, super awesome career in skateboarding, but he's had like 11 hip surgeries um, to remove bone chips. It just shows you like, he's going to be hurt when he's 50, Yeah, you know, like he's already hurt and he's 35. So when that was happening, I was equally passionate about drums. Mm -hmm. And I was eight years old when I started talking to my parents. They said I was duct taping five gallon buckets together. (laughs) making my own drum sets. I didn't know what I was doing. They're like, we don't really want a drum set in the house. You know, (laughs) your two older sisters play piano. You've got a younger sister, one on the way, another younger sister came. Oh man. Then another younger sister. So there's six of us. Stop stop for just a second. Did you just say that you are one in six kids and all five of your siblings are (laughs) sisters? So even beyond that, I have, so it was two older sisters than me. Yep. And four younger sisters. Oh my god! Then my brother came at the very, oh, very okay, end. right. So on. there's eight of us total. Wow, awesome family. My parents just were like, "We want to have kids, and you know, we believe children are a blessing. Yeah. We're just gonna have kids, and Love it. The, I'm sure the Lord will like put it in our heart when it's like." time to be done. Yeah. And so, yeah, a lot of sisters, which is awesome, but they were like, we really don't want a drum set in the house. And who knows if he's even going to like it, you know, like so they're like, well, if you take piano lessons with your sisters for several years, it'll teach you timing, tempo, rhythm. It'll teach you how to sight read. It'll teach you notation. And so I took piano lessons for four years until I was 12. So I, I knew like the value of a whole note, what a, mm-hmm. what a dotted eighth man mm-hmm. like rests. I hated it. I was not excited about it. But what I use that knowledge for now is amazing. I'm so glad I have it. Yep. I ended up going to community college for a recording arts program when I was 17. Kind of as my senior year of high school counted for that and for college credit. And so, but yeah, I took theory, four different theory classes in that one year program, jazz modes, Mm -hmm. like all this kind of stuff, which has been awesome. I've probably taken more piano lessons than I have drum lessons at this point. Um, <laughs> I don't consider myself to be a piano player, but it's just, it's helped so much yeah. to get my mind out of like the tunnel vision of a drummer. So when I was 12, got a drum set and literally played on it. Not like they, they gave me a time limit on how long I could play per day. Oh, that's awesome. They're like, you cannot play past this time. You're driving us crazy. If we go to the grocery store, you can play some more. That's extra time on top. I go was buy playing more like groceries. Six, go buy more groceries. Yeah. Yeah. Like six hours a day was normal. Like Good I just get you, lost. Man. Like, wow. So lost. Yeah. It wasn't even like a thing I had to try to do. It was like, I was just drawn to yeah. it. And I remember learning like, what's that DC talk CD? Um, Jesus the Red Letters. Supernatural. Was that that one? Yes. Supernatural. Yeah, there we go. Yes. That's it. So cans on trying to learn every feeling like I was playing every song. Perfect. Probably totally not. But <laughs> I just had this thing inside of me, like age 12, 13 that happened where like, again, I don't know how to take anything halfway. And so my parents, like I'm 14, 15, they're like, what do you want to do? Like, what do you feel like you want to do? And I was like, I want to change the whole world. That's like what I want. And they're like, with music, I'm like, well, what does that look like? Do you want to like try to be in a band? And I'm like, 
I want Christians in every facet of creativity to be what the world looks at for like the most innovative, most creative, most skilled and talented and determined and excellent. Man. And I said, I feel like it's the opposite right now. Yeah. In the name of like having a good heart. Well, he's got a good heart. Put him on stage. He's got a good heart. There's absolutely nothing in the Bible that says you can't worship until you have a skill. Yep. But I feel like there's been a double standard of like excellence that the church speaks, but it's not, it doesn't fall over into the creative aspects Mm. of musicians Mm -hmm. very much. Mm -hmm. So it just, it wasn't like I was bitter at all. I wasn't bitter at all. I just wasn't satisfied. I was like, I'm not satisfied with this. And I feel like I'm called to something so different. And mind you, at the time, like I hadn't even heard of Jesus culture. Yeah. I knew about passion and like vineyard. Hillsong wasn't really even touring. You know, like it just, there wasn't a culture or even a place where someone could worship and like go on tour, like especially arena tours. Are you kidding me? Christian CCM bands kind of were doing that, but that was already dying off somewhat. And so my dad, he's not a senior pastor of a church, but he's a, he's ordained as a pastor and he's, I would almost call him more like an evangelist, not like go sit on a street corner, but like he has a heart for people that are lost. Like doors are always open. When I was a kid, like telemarketer comes by our, oh, he's having dinner with us. He's traveled to so many countries. So always, he, he always taught me like the Lord has something special for you. Yeah. Something amazing. And the Lord has a way that financially you're going to be taken care of. Mm -hmm. And our trust is not in like, we don't do things out of fear. We don't do things out of like safety nets. We don't be stupid. And we really follow the Lord and put our trust in the Lord. So my parents were like the most supportive parents you could have, which I'm so thankful for. But again, it's like stretching for them because like prior to drumming full time and changing the world. They're like, oh, you wanted to be a pro skateboarder though. So like your other alternate idea is to be a now a professional musician. Like, yeah, <laughs> like yeah. but they're like, okay, well, we're going to just go for it. We're going to support you. When I was 14, I started my own band, and the only person that could drive was the lead guitar player. Yes. He was 16. We ended up doing like 30 or 40 shows around the Northwest. Like, we'd have to borrow one of the parents' minivans, and like, yeah. we were driving to like Portland, Oregon. We didn't know what we were doing. We were, we were terrible. You guys are like but freshmen like, in just, high school at that point, eighth graders, 14, 15. That's, yeah. that's awesome, man. We, I think, yeah, seventh, eighth grade. Wow. And then some older guys that were also Christians in the city that went to different churches were like, man, do you want to like join this other band we're in? I don't know if you remember a band called Telecast. It was like, man, this is like a Christian version of Coldplay yeah, kind of sure. like British almost sounding yeah. like, so the lead guitar player, one of the songwriters named Brian Ortiz, believe it or not, who now works now, he was like, Hey man, I quit the band. I want to start this other thing. And so we started formed a little group and it was awesome. We went and even did some demos at tooth and nail yeah. to see if they wanted to sign us. Nothing ever really came about with that, but we did ended up doing two tours to Russia, which was really crazy. It's like 16 years old Man. was my first like international tour ever. It was awesome. And then we went back the year later and then right before I turned 18. So born in Washington state, two and a half hours from Seattle, Spokane, Washington. The big trend was when you're 18, you move to Portland or Seattle and then you last for about a year and a half or two years and come back to Spokane and then you <laughs> get old. And so I was like, I'm not going anywhere on the West coast. Yeah. I'm going to move so far away that I can't just get in a car and come back when I run out of money or something. And so really random, me and my sister were going to go to Washington, D.C. to be a part of this thing that this guy Lou Engle was doing. My dad was connected to him and was like, hey, my son, he's got to get out of the house. Like he's going crazy. Like he just so ready to take on the world. So we were going to go there. And very last minute, I was like, I'm going to Charlotte. There was one person that we had met at a conference that was like, hey, there's a base in Charlotte doing something very similar, still connected to Lou Engle. Pretty much you guys are going around, like 30 of you will go to like a conference for three days and be a part of helping do worship or prayer or whatever. So I was like, I'm going. And this was four years maybe before Elevation even became mm-hmm. a church. I was in Charlotte, North Carolina, then ended up meeting some guys right when I moved. And we ended up forming a band and moving to Germany. The lead singer was German. Wow. And he his visa was running out. So we just went and started in Germany. And we were there for two and a half years. We played a whole bunch of shows. <laughs> I mean, like, I think we played like close to 100 shows in the first seven months Whoa, or something. Oh, there you go. Yep. Yeah, just doing what we could yeah. do, like handing flyers out. 
that ended up breaking up like, you know, how bands are. And my, the bass player of that band ended up marrying my sister. That's right below me in age. Wow. So now he's my brother-in-law, but I came back and elevation had like kind of popped up. There's so many churches in Charlotte. I mean, it's like 10 times the amount of churches from where I grew up in the Northwest and a big, massive church where I came from was like 800 people, you know, a thousand people was huge. And there were like so many people. I mean, we're like, Oh, we go to this church over here. It's only a couple thousand people. You know, (laughs) I'm like, this is so crazy. So like elevation being 2000 people was just like another Charlotte church yeah. to me. Yep. And I get a call and they're like, Hey man, uh, my name's Mac Brock. You know, I, I got your name from uh, Lee Worley and he was playing with David Crowder at the time, yeah. I think. And John Mark McMillan. And he's like, yeah, I, I said, I know Lee from Morningstar church. And uh, James Duke was going to Morningstar. Oh yep. John Mark's dad was a senior pastor. Easy. There was just this 40, 50 musicians there. It was awesome. It was this cool community. And then almost within the next few years, like, a huge percentage of those musicians like move their families and stuff over to elevation. But anyway, I played elevation one time and I was like, this is the weirdest church I've ever <laughs> been to. They said that they were starting at nine 30 and that's exactly when we started. I like the church I grew up in was like, well, we started at 10, but it'd be like 10 20. Yep. And we're just like, Hey everyone, let's come on in. Um, I was like, this is so crazy how intentional they are about all this stuff. Wow. Yeah. I didn't know anyone there. Then six months later, I had probably played 15 times, you know, not like maybe once a month, three times a month on a crazy week or crazy month. All of a sudden I was like, man, I think this is where I'm supposed to start going to church. Like for real, like start tithing here, start going to church. And I did. And then, you know, started playing every single week. And for years we were just told from Pastor Stephen down, like, we are never going to travel. We're never going to do anything outside of Charlotte. Our focus is Charlotte, North Carolina. <laughs> and I think that was important. Obviously, that sounds so extreme, but I think the importance of it was like, I don't think Pastor Stephen wanted people to have this idea that they're like trying to do a good job so that we can maybe go to sure. or something. Yep. Yep. For the and he really yeah. felt convicted. Right. So he felt convicted to like say, this is Charlotte is what we're called to. We're going to do this. And then I remember it was like year seven or something. I'll have been there. It'll be 13, 14 years wow, this October. Man. What a legacy. So it was like huge. year six, seven. And they're like, yeah, we're ready. Like I woke up and the Lord like put it on my heart that it's time now. And we always still say this. The weekend is always the focus. Mm-hmm. The church in Charlotte's always a focus. So if like, we're not going on tour and the local church is going to suffer because everyone's gone on tour. So there's times where we're like red eyeing home Saturday, play Sunday, and then fly back onto tour. Like that would happen often for that mindset. And so, you know, it was like, I think I was the 16th musician to join Elevation, the fourth drummer. And we had three campuses when I joined and now there's 21 Mm. campuses. I mean, now with singers and everyone, there's like over 200 musicians, I think, and singers all together. I I don't honestly know the exact number since COVID, but it's like a big old group of people. And it's funny. You look at at like, man, this just feels like, you know, my little home church. We're doing this thing. And then next thing you know, you're like on an arena tour. And then you go back to Charlotte and you do your home church thing. So it's been it's been crazy, you know, getting to play on seven records. I think I've done bunch of EPs, singles, done every tour, but three that they've ever done. It's humbling. And it's, it's interesting. You see, I think the, the most interesting thing I've ever experienced with perspective is someone you talking about like your attitude or your heart to a church. And they're like, well, man, I think it's kind of easy for you to have a good attitude. You get to do everything you want. I'm like, yo, (laughs) is that the perception? (laughs) Like, I was like, what about this? Like, Dominic Gerald's auditioned three times and not make the team. Mm. Then he makes a team, then shadows me. Then for two years, I help him with Ableton. Mm-hmm. And then I'm watching him play on a record. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, what's my motivation for doing what I'm doing here? Or yeah. Is my identity so wrapped up in it? I can't even see someone else succeed. Right. And so it's been, it's like the Lord always it, it, out of being a good father is always willing to pull the blanket back a little bit. And it stings. Like if you're a human and you're passionate about something, it does sting like, oh man, that sucks. And it can, I mean, honestly, there's sometimes where I'm like, that sucks. I should be playing that. Mm-hmm. But really like you get down to it and you're like, no, no. Am I going to feel like I'm entitled to things or am I going to maintain this understanding of being grateful for what I get right. to do? Yep. Or is this becoming my identity where like, I feel like it's being robbed from me because I have to have this be my identity. Yeah. And it's no longer Luke Anderson choosing to play drums. It's now I'm a drummer at Elevation mm. and I'm controlled by what I'm supposed to be having authority in. Oh, wow. 
And so like you see that a lot with younger guys and it's so I, I think it's okay to have goals and things you're working towards. But even the concept, like the question that gets brought up at times is like, hey, man, is there a chance you think I could play at like the, the broadcast campus? <laughs> Sometimes, like I really try to hear the heart because I get that. I, I, I'm that same kind of kid. Like, well, how do you play in that stadium there? Like, why are we playing in this like thousand person venue? Yeah. Like, that's our goal. So I get that thinking that like, and that's great. But normally when you have, you know, 30 drummers on your team and you're kind of like placed in charge of all of them, like there's four lead musicians at Elevation. There's more than four, but there's four guys that are over all the categories of musicians. Right. And that's to do with like auditions, helping campuses fill spots. Yeah. And also just like having the hard conversations or having the conversations of, Hey man, spiritually, how you doing? You know, I need to bring something up to you. I feel like, you know, you've been showing up and coasting and that's, mm. if I didn't care about you, I wouldn't talk to you about yeah. this, but yeah. it's a hindrance to the team. It's a hindrance to who, what God's put in you. Yeah. And the best thing you can do is to be diligent with what the Lord puts in your hands. Yeah. You're not responsible for who's the leader above you. You're not responsible for their actions or their bad heart or good heart. You're responsible for how you respond. Mm -hmm. And it says, even if there's an evil leader above you, you will be held accountable for the way you respond yeah. or the way you act out of that. And so it's been a great journey. I'll say that. It's amazing to see the faithfulness of the Lord. Obviously, when there's so many drummers around and so many musicians, it's like, man, me of all people, mm. it's just crazy. And I thought it was really interesting. Like Mac, you know, funny, I'm not going to see, we've not really ever talked, talked about this, but I felt like he kind of had this soft spot for me mm. and he was like, definitely a producer, but it's like, he really more than anyone else, like really appreciated certain things I would do on the drums. And obviously a ton of things I, I did, he hated, like, don't do that. I don't like it that don't do that don't do that ever again smoking like but a good like, producer I, yeah <laughs> i was always drawn to like big toms yeah i love toms i didn't like hi-hats and mac like kind of came along and just like pulled that out of me mm -hmm. even more mm -hmm. and i remember like uh only king forever that whole record Absolutely. first song on the record is like boom 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 and that was like felt like my dna this is exactly me unedited me like this is how i think about drums that was like a present almost to me, like a treat mm -hmm. where like someone saw kind of who you are yeah. and you didn't have to become something to like fit the need, yep. but it almost like you yeah. kind of fit yeah. naturally into that position. Yes, to your last point about it's more like that part was built for me or I would, you know, this is exactly where I was going as opposed to, okay, I need to sound like that for this worship thing. So I need to work on this technique right. or this and that. But even to pull it back a little bit further, you know, with these different people asking like, okay, so how do I get up on, you know, on the broadcast campus uh, right, and right, things right. like that? And I'm with you, like you don't fault them for, for asking the question, but when it becomes about the goal being here is the platform that I deserve to be on, as opposed to like, God, where are you right. calling me to serve faithfully? Like, like where, right. and, and right, I, you know, right. clearly that was, you know, with you, Luke, I mean, the, the beauty of you jumping on at elevation and, you know, certainly the momentum was there, but for you to be there really when the foundational bricks were being laid. And for that to right. be something that they really, I mean, you know, with all the ups that there have been, I know that there have been downs, there have been setbacks, there have been uh, plenty of things that, right. that have been totally. uh, hard earned along the way. And so for, for someone to just say, well, well, how'd you get there? It's like, well, just to paraphrase and correct me if I'm wrong, but it's like, I, I stayed faithful to that still small voice where, where God just said like, uh, I mean, it's just what you said, like, this is where I'm being called to, to just be a part of this church and to tithe here and to, to commit right. my attention here. And then for, you know, how you've been cut and created talent wise and all that too, of course, you know, feed into the opportunity with what Elevation Worship has become and what it's done. You are saying yes to it because of what's being unveiled to you as opportunity, as opposed to like, that was the top of the hill that I was running after and I got it and yeah, and now I'm going to defend it and make sure that no one else gets it. Right. Like, like this is, this is mine. And, right, right, and I'm, right. I'm a big believer in the uh, scarcity mentality versus abundance mentality. Like, like, no, right. like I, you know, I better be on all the records. I better be on all the state and, and like, man, 
what about when I'm dead? What about when I'm not breathing anymore and when God is still just as worthy of praise the next day as he was when I was doing the thing? So maybe there's something in continuing to to build the community around and continuing to give opportunity to others and to train others up in that. And, and so I just, I see the real heart in that from you. And just thanks for being a great example for all of us on that. That's a big deal. Yeah. Well, thank you for saying that. It, it is interesting because in a, in a ministry that's small or big, there's from the outside, things always look a certain yep. way, just like a marriage. Yep. Man, that couple so nice. Yeah. But then you don't hear about like the arguments about like putting your toothbrush in the wrong spot right. at night. There's always these petty nitty things, but then there's also, there are more serious things that have to be worked through regardless of the size of the ministry or what it looks like. Um, and I think you're right. There's this tendency and I think it comes from like fear or, or I don't know what it comes from comparison or us just sizing things up on value based off of opportunity. And it's hard to separate value and, and what you're doing as far as like, oh, my value is I'm valuable. So they're playing on a record. Mm. Oh, I must not be as valuable anymore. I'm not playing on this next record. And the enemy can use that to try to get you kind of in knots on the yeah. wrong thing. Yeah. But I, I remember just even seeing different people and it's like they love the position of leadership. But then if they led well, then it's like you're almost leading yourself into not having a position mm-hmm. if you really think yep. about it in that concept. And it's like I would see certain people lead and I started experiencing this where I'm like, I want to be the best guy at like coaching new drummers. Yeah. That was like so excited and nervous. Yeah. Like, oh my gosh, Mac and Chris just talked to me and now I've got to like coach new dr- Like, this is crazy. You want to just do the best you possibly can. Yeah. And then you realize like Vincent came in, same, similar thing. And he's played on a decent, we played on a couple records together, but he came in and was like, again, like, Hey man, how do you tap tempo and logic? Like, let's meet up. Cool. Yeah. And then again, you're like watching from the side of the stage, like him play a record. Yep. And you're like, man, if I sucked at coaching, then maybe I'd still be playing that record. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like it's weird to even say that a lot, but it's hundred percent honest. Totally. You have yep. those thoughts. And then you see certain people leading where they want to lead and they want to be in that place of authority and they coach people, but they never get beyond being like a puppet master right. where they like, they still control everyone and right. no one ever advances beyond them. And it is like a kingdom mindset where like, okay, Lord, I have to trust that you're going to hand me something else if I let go of this yeah. thing. Yeah. And it's hard. It's like, it's not in our human DNA to do mm-hmm. that. Again, like I had mentioned just a pinch about excellence, striving for excellence and striving to be the best, not because it's in our own strength that we do it, but really to honor the Lord mm-hmm. and to show him that we're serious about what he's given us. And it's not about what you have. It's about what you do with what you have. And so like, that was something I really admired about Pastor Steven is we had a 12 channel mixer <laughs> for our main campus. That was all we had. We didn't have any more money. Oh, I love it. And that mixer board became the drummer's in-ear monitor yeah, board yeah. later on. But that was our front of house yeah. board. Oh, man. And People don't believe that at some point Elevation's main campus out of the three was run on that sucker. Yeah. And so it's just like, we're not, it's not about what you have. Yeah. It's about the, how you position yeah. your mindset yep. and your heart. And so it just time and time again, I, I've seen that happen where you know, it's, it's funny. People are like, why do you do auditions? That seems like it's just kind of like judgmental towards people's heart for the Lord. I'm like, no, 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 no. It's, it's the exact opposite of that. It's actually allowing someone to operate and thrive fully in what they feel like they're called yeah. to. I said, and honestly, when you have someone audition, it's not uh, me telling them if they're worth it or not to worship, but it's about me saying, hey, I'm treating this platform the Lord's given me with true, real deal, true seriousness. Mm -hmm. And the best thing I can do for you is to call you to be a better version of who the Lord has made you and what he's put in your hands. And so I'm like, man, you know what it does is it eliminates people that are just wanting to get on stage. I said, we've had multiple guys that are now some of our main, like, Dominic's one of our main drummers, Vincent, me. Dominic auditioned literally three times in a row and was denied three times. And you know what I saw out of that was, and I had to be the guy that's to be like, oh, no, it's, it's going to be a no this time, but here's some things I want you to work on. Six months later, I'm like, oh my gosh, dude, he has grown so wow. much. Still yep. not quite ready. You know, he didn't start playing drums until he was 20. Wow. So obviously he's doing a lot of catch up, but I'm like three times. I said, you know what that taught me about Dom before I ever even like said yes to being on the team is that he like, I would way rather have a guy like that Mm -hmm. than someone that feels like they deserve to be on stage right away. And they get, they get told no. And then you never see him again. You know what I mean? And I'm like, man, next place to find the yes. Exactly. Right. And so I was like, 
I mean, I think about David in the Bible. I've thought about this a lot the last even two years. Obviously, David went and killed Goliath, and we all love that. And it's it's courageous and insane. And But the Bible didn't ever say, like when it talked about him killing a bear and a lion and being a shepherd, that that was a less important season. Mm. They mm-hmm. didn't even say anything about that it was a preparation season. It, for all David knew, he would be doing that yeah. for who, who knows yeah. how long. He wasn't even invited to go with the yeah. army. So well, he could have looked at it in two ways. is coasted in that season because he felt called to something higher than that, and that was below oh, him. Here we go. Yep. But he wouldn't have he wouldn't have really even learned his identity, and he wouldn't have actually been confident in his skill set with a sling had he not gone through that, or if had he been lazy or been sleeping in, and a bear came when he was asleep. Or he just didn't show up on time because it's below him. Mm. So I'm like, man, you talk about like people wanting these opportunities or being called. I think it's great to be called to something that's bigger than yourself and even have just carnal sounding dreams like, man, I want to be in movies. Yeah. It's great to have a goal and work towards something. And I'm not saying, you know, movies is so I'm just using it as an example. Like humans need something to look forward to. But I'm like, man, I want people to know we were told we're never going to go on tour ever. And so is it now time to coast or is it still time to like give the Lord your best and trust that he's going to do the next steps? And I'm like, man, there's so many guys that are waiting. Like, how do you get those opportunities? I'm like, you're already missing the opportunity. And they're like, well, there's none here. I'm like, you have to become what the opportunity needs before it ever even is there. Like the opportunity, it will be attracted to the right skill set and the right excellence. And I'm like, but you have to do it before anyone ever sees you. You have to do it when no one sees you. You don't know how long the season's going to be. And that's that's why I tell people all the time. I said, you never get a call because you're the number one pick. Some people do, but 99, like why I started Elevation is because someone was sick. Not because I am the best option in all of Charlotte. It's never like that. It's always a humbling approach to how you end up getting something that becomes a huge blessing. And so I was like, man, I want to help encourage people globally. If you feel called to write songs, write songs. If you feel called to be a musician, be a musician. Why aren't you writing songs? Oh, there's just no one that's calling me. No, write songs. And I said, you know what happens when you write songs is people find out you write songs and they'll start calling (laughs) you. (laughs) Like you don't like the gigs you're getting, but you're also saying no to the gigs because they're below you, but you're, you're saying no and then sitting at home. I'm like, if you have time in your schedule, use that time to build those relationships. People you're going to meet, use that time to get better. Even if it sounds terrible and there's no monitor, you'll learn how to be more confident in a terrible environment. Just use all those things and don't wait around for a door to come to you. Anyway, so like taking that approach and bringing that into church, it's interesting the kind of whiplash and kickback you can get or just different mindsets. Like, well, I think that's judgmental on someone. I'm like, let's back up. What's the frustrating thing here for you? And they're like, well, I would way rather have someone with a good heart than have someone that's just skilled in their instrument. And I was like, I remember this conversation I was having with someone in an interview and and I just said, well, why are you picking one or the other? Like, I don't want just one. I want both. I want yeah. someone with a killer heart. And it's very diligent. And with Absolutely. the Lord, I'm like, yep. why pick one? You get the hamburger meat or the bun. <laughs> like, no, like I want the whole thing. I, it tastes better. And so out of being around Elevation, I felt like it was the first time where church actually kind of acted like we had talked yeah. about. Wow. Being excellent, being yep. diligent. And I'm not saying Elevation is the only church, but just in my experience, it's the first church that I had come across where it was like, Man, they really put their money where yeah. their mouth is. Like, if something's not yeah. right, then they're just going to stay up till two and make a better video yeah. or four, or they're going to recut yeah. it, or they're going to cut it from the weekend until it's right. And I was like, there's something amazing here. And again, you even kind of mentioned it, which is funny. People get these opportunities, and then that's like the thing they want to cling mm-hmm. on to. And I felt at times that there's been a tendency to want to do that, where you like start strangling the thing that's supposed to yeah. be like life giving right. and you're suffocating right. it out of your own life. And so people are like, well, what are you doing now? I'm like, I feel like elevation and I don't look at it this way, but I'm like, elevation to me was like a huge preparation season. Mm. And like when I joined elevation, the three drummers that were there, it was like one guy who helped start the church with his wife, one of the eight couples. The other drummer is Matt Redman's drummer right now. The other drummer's David Crowder's drummer. I I was like trying so hard to like, just even be good enough to like compare to them. So there are so many guys that are so much more qualified than me, so much more gifted, but it's just like, I don't know why the Lord gave me that spirit of your actions and your heart are parallel. And you can't talk about having a heart to worship the Lord and honor the Lord and praise the Lord and have your actions not 
parallel that. Like it's the same concept as saying you love your wife and you never do the dishes. You doing the dishes also says you love her. Right. And I was like, Lord, why do we have a standard about people who preach? Mm. Like a church just won't let anyone go up there and preach with a good heart. And the funny thing is you start talking about a level of excellence and you immediately get put in this legalistic thing. And I'm like, I'm the most unlegalistic. I would say I am. You might disagree entirely, but like my goal is not to look right. right. My goal is to actually not say we're something we're not. And the goal is not to be the most inspiring, creative person in the world. The goal is to read the Bible and actually live it physically as much as we're saying what we believe in the Bible. And I just have seen, like, people will message me all the time. I'll hop on Zoom with someone. And I used to do this for free all the time. Hey, yeah, let's hop on Zoom. Let's, yeah, I can chat with you, you know, give you some money. And they're like, man, I really want to be a pro musician, you know? And it's like, just saying that is like, they're looking for this thing like, oh man, that's really impressive that you want to be there. There was one guy (laughs) recently said, I said, I just don't really believe you. Yeah. I just don't really believe that. And he looked at me so bizarre and I wasn't trying to be like shock value. I was trying to be honest with him because I really do care to really be honest and help someone and not waste their time. And he's like, well, what do you mean? I just told you I want to be like pro music. I said, okay, let's be honest. And what corner, you tell me the corners that you cut right now with the season you're in. And he's like, well, I'm like, you know, when you show up and you haven't prepared Mm. enough, you know, when you show up late, you know, when you give it just enough so you won't get in trouble. I said, how's the fruit of that in your life? If you don't change what you're sowing, you're not going to get a different harvest. And that, I mean, dude, I'm not saying those things because I'm perfect at it, but it's a constant reminder of like, Lord, I want you to feel like you can trust me with Mm -hmm. more. Elevation has been great. You know, I did not even have a desire to do anything with worship except for just play at church when I'm not on tour with my rock and roll band that's going to change the world. So the fact that I even ended up with Elevation, people are like, well, you moved to Charlotte because of Elevation. I said, no. (laughs) I said, I moved to Charlotte because I wanted to follow the Lord. I didn't want to get stuck in my hometown. And I could not have ever even known that Elevation and Elevation Worship would start there four years later. And so it's just crazy. I think the thing now that's dangerous is the church has gotten really good at lights and emotions, not even manipulating. That's, I don't even know why I said that, but like creating these distraction free zones, Mm -hmm. you know, and there's nothing, there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with any of that at all. That's not even remotely what I'm trying to talk about, but it's like, we've created this culture where someone can do a very small amount of work and get this satisfaction of like playing for a lot of people, playing in a kind of a professional environment. When I was a kid, that didn't exist. Yeah. You know, we had fake bushes on the sides of the stage and everything was bright. And you could see the coffee stain <laughs> on the dude's shirt. It was horrible. And so now it's like you get these people that feel entitled to be on the next record and they never really had even invested or or really spent time in a season of really like dedicating like, okay, we're not getting paid yeah. for this. Yeah. We're barely making money and I'm committed and doing this. Now it's like, hey, I played guitar for four years and now I'm playing on Sunday. I really want to play them in campus. That's great. There's nothing wrong with any of that. But I just, part of me is like, man, I don't want church to become this thing that's fulfilling musicians' dreams just long enough for them to get bitter eventually. I want musicians to be using their skill sets to worship the Lord and to bring excellence to the Lord. Right. And that's, that generally is like, as I get older and I'm not the young guy anymore, you know, I'm 35, I'm starting to be the older brother and Mm. I'm like, I'm starting to be this guy. I'm like, what do I want to help see come about with younger musicians? And again, it's like, I don't want to discourage someone from anything ever, but I don't want to encourage someone to coast. If that makes sense. Also, I don't want to be hard on people, but again, it's like the Lord puts different things, different people. And to me, I'm like, man, church is awesome, but it's never, ever been designed to fulfill all your dreams and desires. It's there to serve. And it's interesting when there's, now there's actually a culture and even an ecosystem where someone can be a musician at church and actually do it full time. Mm -hmm. You know, when I was a kid, that was not possible. I didn't even know how to dream that. I literally didn't even ever think ever that I was going to be a worship Mm -hmm. drummer. I don't even like that phrase. I'm just a drummer that worships anyway, but like, I didn't ever have the dream to like be this worship drummer full-time guy. And the Lord allowed it to happen the way it happened. And now I do feel like I'm kind of looking at like, how can I help people not waste time by waiting around? I had a season of waiting around. I had a season of like feeling entitled to things. I had a season of feeling like I can't believe that person over Mm. me, like all this different Mm -hmm. stuff you have to go through. Like I'm thankful to the Lord because he's put people in my life that have been really honest with me. Mac Brock has always been extremely honest with me about spiritual things and also just physical things. Like he's probably corrected me more than anyone on different ways of drumming, different things I would do, tendencies. I used to get super hard on myself where like I'd make a mistake and it'd mess me up for like two Mm. weeks. 
I remember one time I, I made a mistake. We were playing with Israel, actually, and it was like, oh, man, I'm not a gospel drummer, but I'm just going to be the best Luke Anderson in this. And I remember I messed up something, and he came to me a week later and was like, dude, seriously, get over whatever this thing wow. is. He's like, you made a mistake. Yeah, learn from it. Try not yep. to do it again, but just let yep. it go. Get yep. up. I'm like, man. So anyway, the Lord has been so diligent. Mm. I told you I worked at Starbucks yep. for 10 months. I just moved back from Germany. My band broke up. I was extremely heartbroken. We never went back to Germany. We were coming to Charlotte. We just got done in Israel on this tour. We're going to see friends in Charlotte for a month and go back to Germany. And we never went back to Germany. Wow. It was terrible. And so I went to Washington State, Walla Walla, Washington, where my brother-in-law and sister were youth pastors. And it was like a country bumpkin town. Like every dude ever had a I truck. Everyone wore cowboy yeah. boots. It's like farmland as it gets. Could not get a job anywhere. Worked at Starbucks. I'd clock in at 445 in the morning, Ooh. done at 1215. And it took nine months of me being in that season and dawned on me one morning, put my apron on, you know, the green apron. <laughs> and it was like this bizarre thing. Like, oh my goodness sake, I just don't care. It wasn't like I was convincing right. myself. I was like, I just don't care what right. I do. I'm not embarrassed now that people are seeing me with the apron because they need to know I'm a drummer. I just don't care. Mm. Like I'm Luke. I'm a son mm-hmm. of the Lord and I can put an apron on and I'm still yep. Luke. I can play yep. drums. I can go play tennis. I can do whatever, yep. but I'm first the Lord's son who he's proud of. And I could not understand that you have kids. I remember holding my son. First thoughts I had in the hospital was it was like this flood hit me and I remember sitting there staring at my son who obviously can't even acknowledge who I am yet. Their eyes are like, they're brand yeah. new. People call them infants, yeah. I guess. <laughs> Not brand new humans. Yeah. So I'm like, man, this is what the Lord thinks of me. I can't even do anything. I can't even acknowledge the Lord yet. Just this little human that can't do anything on his own. I was like, I'm so satisfied and pleased with my son. And people ask now, like, do you want him to play drums? I've said, I, I literally don't even care. I don't care if he wants to rollerblade. And play yeah. the flute. Yep. Like, I just don't care yep. what he does. I don't care. But I want every musician, every creative person to not do things out of feeling like I have yeah. to do this or I'm going to feel bad yeah. again because I don't yeah. do this. I'm like, I don't care what toy my son picks up in the house. I don't care if he picks up his building blocks or wants to play with clay or wants to use the chalkboard. The only thing I care about is that he knows who he is. Yep. He knows he's loved. And yep. I know that he's safe. And as I've kind of understood that more and more just by watching my son and my, the way I perceive my son, I felt like the Lord's like, if you're an imperfect father mm. and you feel that way about your son, like, think about how I feel about mm. you. And it's like, when you can start to understand your own identity, and not the one you want for yourself, but who the Lord made you, then it's like the things that you put your hands to, you now are almost sitting above and yeah. over where yeah. the amount of influence and authority that you can walk in in it is severely different than feeling like you're trying to live up to this yeah. thing or like it's so much your identity that you now are kind of a slave to what you're supposed to walk in authority in. And I'm like, man, as I get older, it's great to do all that stuff. But it also, I'm not even scared of it for people, but I just, I'm like, man, don't let the thing you're called to become mm-hmm. your identity because then it sets up opportunity all, all of a sudden, either given or taken away, can become this thing that can cause all this jadedness and bitterness and hurt or whatever else you want to yeah. call it. And I'm like, man, love what you do, put your best into it and show the Lord that he can trust you with what he's given you. And also don't let it become your identity. Yeah. And that's a lot, that's a huge, that's a huge, huge thing. So we were talking about samples. <laughs> I just said, all right, Lord, elevation has been great. Elevation has been wonderful, wonderful, yeah. but I don't even feel like I've started doing what I'm called wow. to yet. Yep. Like, it's been such a training ground. And right now I'm sitting in this place, COVID started. I've been off the road for six months and I was like, I have to either pivot or go to Costco. That like, that was where my head was at. Like, I don't even have any work experience. How am I going to get hired? And so I just made the decision like, all right, Lord, you've been faithful. I said, you're so good at redirecting our energy that we move a certain direction and you'll redirect it and position different things and block certain directions. And I just felt like multi-tracks was such a important step Mm. for me in that Mm. transition of like, oh my gosh, when are we ever going to tour again? Wow. You know, I was, my son was six months old. We finished a tour, got back from Europe and I went to pick up my son. I'd been gone out of his life for three months of the six months. 
And he screamed in the stroller at the airport. It's like he, I, a stranger picked him up. He didn't even have a clue who I was. Oh, man. And I was like, I can't do this anymore. I no. can't. It's not worth it. Yep. And I was like, the things I'm called to, I don't ever want my son to resent what I was oh. called to because I didn't manage yep. it correctly. Yep. And so like multi-tracks was me saying, all right, Lord, I don't know what I'm going to do. I'm going to do the best I can yeah. with not even having a plan. Yeah. And I did have, I didn't have a plan. Obviously I love music. I've been doing some drum lessons online, but that kind of started this whole new last three years of my life. You know, I sold probably 15 snare drums. Yeah. You know, music gear. Whenever I see a snare for like 400 bucks, that should be 700. I just buy it and totally. put it on a yep. shelf and then I'll sell it for 600 bucks when I need money. But like I had just done that. Like I had 20 snares almost at the time. Now I only probably have five, yeah. four or five, six snares I think now, but I sold 15 snare drums bought 20. Now I have something, 20 mics, but I bought as many mics as I could started buying mic cables, trading snare drums for mic stands. Like I was like, okay, this is so stretching and awkward. I've never remote recorded Mm. in my life. I'm going to go for it though. Yeah. And I, this Hispanic dude from Dominican Republic hit me up and was like, Hey man, want drums on this song. Ended up being this amazing first song to get the chance to remote record on. Awesome. And if you've recorded in person, you you obviously know what it's like. There's a producer. The importance of hearing someone make mistakes while they're figuring out a part. You're like, oh, what was that mistake? Ooh, leave that one mm-hmm. note in there now. When you're by yourself remote recording, there's none no, of that. Absolutely. It's, it's 100% whatever you're yeah. feeling. You don't know what they are excited about. And so I was like, all right, Lord, you're going to have to help me because I feel in over my head. So I just started advertising at the same exact moment. I reached out to multi-tracks obviously, and was like, I don't know how to make samples. This is crazy. I'm going to do it though. I'm going to go for it as hard yeah, as I can. Yeah. I don't know how to meet with churches because churches randomly right at the same time were like, Hey, because of COVID, like, you know, I'd love it if you like, we're reaching out to people that could do like a zoom call with our musicians or drummers wow. or, you yeah. know, our worship staff. And again, that was like, you want to talk about feeling out of your element. Mm. Okay. I, I've talked to people in person. Now I'm being asked in different capacities at different churches to meet with drummers, to meet with worship leaders, to meet with worship staff, production directors, to meet with even some, some churches were like, yeah, our whole entire lead staff is here, senior pastor. And I was like, Lord, okay, all I can do is say yes to all this stuff (laughs) and you'll have to sort the rest out for me. But that was honestly, that was kind of my introduction to multi-tracks and even making samples. I mean, now at this point there's, you know, over 15 sample packs, remote recording in the last three years, I've done over 500 songs remotely, wow. which I never would have ever even guessed. And yep. so the reason why I say all that, it's very, very humbling. Every single time I turn around, I'm learning something mm-hmm. new, uh, you know, like, oh my gosh, I need to get this plug in. Oh my gosh. Mm-hmm. Now I have 300 plugins. It's like, it's so easy to find the things that you don't feel you yep. have. And it's so easy to find the things that disqualifies you, that makes you inadequate. And the enemy loves that. Mm-hmm. The enemy loves us canceling ourselves totally. in a sense. And I felt the pressure of it. I'm sure you have. Any creative person has felt that pressure. Like, oh, I want to be a songwriter, but I'm not Taya or Brooke Frazier, mm-hmm. Brooke Lagerwood. And I'm like, man, I can't, I don't have the time to think that way. <laughs> like, yeah. I don't have the time to think that way. All I can do is record and then learn from the first song I do yep. and try to do the second one a little bit better. Absolutely. And learn, oh, wow, that face canceled. Let me move the mic. Oh, man, that mic always sounds terrible no matter what. Let me sell that and try this mic. And I don't know if I've talked about this on the on the podcast before, but it's you hear that story of the college professor who taught a photography class, and he split the class down the middle, and he said, okay, you have, like this half, your entire grade is going to be judged on you turning in one photo, and it needs to be you know, just the best quality photo possible. That's how you're going to earn your grade, the entire of it. And then he says to the other half of the class, your entire grade is going to be based on how many pictures you hand me at the end of the class. Like it's going to be a measured by quantity sort of thing. And I don't know what the scale was or whatever, but it was just this fabulous experiment because at the end of the course, like he would go through and of course, you know, art is objective, but from the professor's perspective, the absolute best photos that showed up to him were from the people who were being judged based on quantity because they just 
kept up their reps, right? Like they kept showing up. They kept just kind of what you were saying, where it's like, I don't have time to sit here and like get bummed about the fact that I'm not Ansel Adams or I'm not uh, Peter Leake or, you know, one of these like famous world photographers. Like (laughs) I literally need to just keep churning out more photos so that I get a good grade here. I mean, I love, so it just goes to show like when you put in the reps, it's a both and where you're getting better at your craft, you're learning things the whole time, but you also, yeah, you just don't have time to start giving into the weird ways that whether it's, uh, you know, just the human experience or Satan, you know, or you know, all the, all the different ways that, uh, that we can be right. deceived up to start be like, Oh, if only I was, you know, where it's like, dude, just be faithful <laughs> to the thing that's right here. Like, stop being bummed about that. Like there is so much right, right. here. And yeah, that's, I, that's such a good word, dude. I really appreciate that. That's awesome. You're, you're dead on it. Everyone deals with yeah. it. I remember even like churches being like, man, so how long have you guys used Ableton? I'm like, oh, we don't even use Ableton. We make our own QuickTime files and push play because we just have did that from the beginning of the church and never <laughs> changed. So like it just shows you like things look a certain way and they very rarely are that exact way when you get into it. And I've, I've just noticed I make mistakes all the time. I do things wrong all the time. But there's something about knowing that the Lord's put something in your heart or spirit yeah. and just being like, all right, I'm going for it. And every day I'm going to go for it more. Yeah. I at least want to go to bed tired knowing I tried all day and, and couldn't figure it out. At least I got that day out of the way. Maybe tomorrow I won't make the same mistake and I'll actually get the thing done. The songwriters, especially like I've been, I told myself when COVID started, I said, I want to be an unbelievable songwriter when I'm 50, Mm. you know, that gives me 17 years. And so literally I've just been songwriting and songwriting and songwriting and it's way hard. Yeah. It, it, It still is hard, but it's gotten easier and easier and easier. It's not gotten easier. It's gotten easier to know what's not going to work. And let's say that you get to the end result faster. It's not like you just write every idea that's perfect, but just having that goal, like everywhere in my whole body felt like, oh man, you already missed it, man. You're in your early thirties. You haven't song written that much. And I could have just said, you know, oh, you're right, Luke. You're right about your own mm. self. You should have started and now you're old. But you're like, no, okay, Lord, I'm not going to go get a job at Costco. I don't even know why I say Costco. <laughs> we love Costco, man. I love Costco, dude. But I'm Props like, to everyone who works Costco, 100%. <laughs> it just shows, I was like, I know that there's more inside of me that the Lord has made. And I think, you know, it's an interesting thing. People are like, well, we don't really want to write songs like and try to get famous. I'm like, I said, I don't know anyone in the worship world that's doing that. Yeah. <laughs> like if you sit down and talk with people that are doing that, that's not their motive. Right. That's maybe how you perceive it. It's so it's, it's perfectly spiritually ironic that, yeah, the songs that, and you know, God's just great like that. where like the songs that are resonating with the worldwide capital C church are the songs that these worship leaders and, you know, you're yourself included, but just everyone saying, Hey, I'm being faithful to the craft that God's given me. And I'm, I'm literally just like doing this for my local church. Like any reach beyond right. here is just maybe bonus isn't the right word, but the stone that got thrown into the body of water was this offering of worship for our local church, like for, for the people who I I'm with week in and week out. And then for the ripples of that to, you know, to echo across uh, the globe is a beautiful thing, but yeah, I'm just so grateful that there are very few instances of it going the other direction where it's like, I'm writing the next thing and it's going to take over. And then lo and behold, it does. Um, I'm sure there's a few that sneak in there where we're all human and all that, (laughs) but uh, but yeah, I'm with you. I mean, and and, you know, with the people that um, you've gotten to do stuff with, you know, the hearts of them and what an encouraging thing to know that really by and large, the worship world is just seeking after the heart of God. And what, how can I be faithful to the thing that he's called me to right here and now, and then see where he takes it from there. That's huge. Well, and I mean, I'm sure you know exactly what I'm talking about from your own experiencing people asking like, why do you guys write songs at Elevation? We're like, because Pastor Stephen had a sermon series named that. Yeah. And he wanted a song to go along with the sermon series. So we just yeah. asked people how to write one for that. And they're like, well, I think more churches should be doing more worship. It shouldn't just come from a few houses. And I'm like, yeah, I'm a, in a hundred. Go do it. Absolutely. 100% yep. agree. I said, you know, the the barrier that has caused so many people to not do it is they get all amped up and excited and they start trying to do it. And that's where the honeymoon mindset goes out the Mm. window. And something I've seen, like with Pastor Steven, he will write a song 
four or five, six hours a day, eight hours and throw it all away and do that process again and Mm -hmm. again. And with something I learned, which we feel like is gifting, I I heard this really well-known writer and someone said, man, you're just such a gifted, talented writer. And he actually kind of got frustrated in the interview. He said, no, I'm not. (laughs) I am just simply not that. Wow. And the guy was like, what do you mean? He's like, I am not a good writer. I have written 30 books that you've never even heard of. Yeah. And that is exactly how I feel. Mm, I'm like, mm, man, I am not just this talented person that just took off my bathrobe and arrived in this mansion thing. It's like, no, I'm not the most gifted person. And that drove me crazy that these other guys were advancing beyond me just in a physical, practical sense. And they were trying less hard. Yeah. And that just drove me crazy. You know what I mean? And so with songwriting, I'm like, man, there's so many people that say they're a songwriter and the church needs more songs from more bodies of churches or more congregations. Because when a church writes something that's for their church, it's like a message that goes out saying what the Lord's doing in that community. And more churches should be doing that. But the resistance that happens and the grind, like the determination to push through a bad idea. I was talking to a church where they're like, man, we're so pumped, man. Like we met with you a couple of times. We're going to start writing. I said, okay, well, let's have a talk in a few weeks then. Like almost right away, their pastor was like, yeah, man, like, so how do you guys go like about telling someone their idea is bad? Mm. I said, now you're starting to get into the understanding maybe of why fewer churches release stuff mm-hmm. and why mm-hmm. so many songs come from such yep. few houses. And I said, that's the blind spot where people just say, man, it's all about feeling it. It's all about, I'll practice when I'm inspired. I'm like, well, no, 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 you'll, you'll barely ever practice. <laughs> yeah. You don't go, you don't get paid first and then do 40 hours. You work hard and then you get the payment afterwards. And that's just like the creative world. Anyway, that's so good, man. We've talked about so much stuff, but yeah, that's where my head's been living is like, man, how can I inspire people to become the best version of who they feel like the Lord made them to be? Yeah. Well, and, and for that to be your platform, Luke, for that to be the thing of all the different things that you could be running after. And they're all, don't get me wrong. You have plenty of, of amazing and creative pursuits and all within that, but for, for it all to fall under this umbrella of what you just said, like, like, how can I be, you know, one who trains, equips, you know, helps others in this pursuit. That's such a big deal. And thank you for, for doing that. Dude, I like I literally have this is almost becoming a common thread within the last handful of episodes. <laughs> like I've got so many questions I want to ask you. So realistically, like I this was this was so valuable. I'm so grateful for it. I would love to, if you're cool with it, can we do this again, please? One hundred percent. Awesome. Hundred yeah, percent. And not just for the sake of the questions that that are still waiting to be asked, but I just you know, your heart and just every bit of wisdom that you're sewn into it, I know that it's valuable to everybody who's listening and it would just be great to not have this be a one-time thing for sure. I would treasure. I would just tell me when and we'll make it happen. Awesome. Luke, thank you not only for being generous with your time today, but also just generous with your heart and your gift. And and man, there are so many people, certainly those within the elevation circle that you are hands-on training and helping and equipping and all that. But I also know that beyond that, you know, many who you will perhaps never get the chance to say hi to on this side of eternity, but just thank you for training them well and equipping them well and just uh, speaking in a way, living in a way that brings them to the place where they want to live live that much more in step with what God's called them to be. So dude, thank you for every bit of you and seriously, already looking forward to the next time we get to do this. Oh, thanks for having me, man. Thank you all for listening to the Worship Sound Design Podcast. The music sound beds throughout the episode were provided by Core Sound. You can find these sound beds along with a bunch of other incredible ambient pads, keyboard patches, drum samples, and other resources from an amazing group of producers at multitracks.com. Make sure that you subscribe to the podcast so that you can catch every conversation we have with all these incredible people who share the same passion. I'm looking forward to the next time. I hope you are too. Can't wait to see you then and until then blessings to you let's go make a difference